Mix.com. This is uh, not the type of podcast to do, you know, long postmortems uh, on the race before. If, you know, at the earliest you're listening to this, it's Thursday morning, days after the last race. But let us touch on at least a little bit, David, the Daytona 500, the biggest race of the year. And to anyone who is our listener, this won't, will not be a humble brag. Maybe David is a more humble person than I am. But on his part, on his behalf, this will be a, a non-humble brag. Because if you were listening to episode four, you heard David describe the potential conditions out there in Daytona, what it could be like, and how similar it would be to 2016. And guess what happened? Exactly what David predicted and said you should look back and that's what happened david i i just want to give you a round of applause and say you did it man and I, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> i i don't know how i did anything really I, I i like to think that teams actually learn from history but in this case that did not happen uh the chief players in 2016 uh denny hamlin and mike wheeler somehow perhaps inexplicably, emerged as heroes again. 75 degrees and sunny after a week of overcast, cool temperatures at Daytona. Uh, Who knew that that was even a market? And it's apparently a market that those two have cornered. They were the winning duo in 2016. Uh, The same conditions emerge in 2019. Um, Mike Wheeler, via Matt DiBenedetto's uh, breakout effort, he led the most laps in the 2019 Daytona 500, um, performed very well until getting caught up in one of the four red zone accidents that took place. And then Denny Hamlin gets his his second uh, Daytona 500 win. I don't know that I would have expected uh, literally the same thing to happen. I just was expecting, you know, same conditions, same kind of dynamics. But, oh, here we are. Yeah, and, and it worked out. And let's not forget you, uh, in one of our earlier episodes, you also predicted William Byron would get his first poll this year. I didn't think it would come so quick, but let's just say maybe David Smith had the uh, best speed weeks if we are going back and looking down there. And uh, look, I, I tried to, I, I thought Chase Elliott was going to have a shot. David, you wrote in the notes here that uh, I got a few things right. You know, he ended up crashing. Clint Boyer was the foil of the, the Hendrick cars late in that race taking out both uh, William Byron and Chase Elliott. Uh, I thought Chase Elliott would have a better finish. I don't know exactly what I got right, so I, I am excited for you to tell me um, what, what exactly, what direction I went in that, uh, that you said I got something right here. Well, through the last uh, two episodes, I, I think you expressed that you liked the cut of young Chase Elliott's jib, said he would be one to watch. Uh, fast on Sunday were your exact words. He was fast. In fact, he ranked first in single race central speed in the 2019 Daytona 500. So how about that? The the, the number nine car was very fast. Uh, you also said he's had trouble closing out his performances yeah. at Daytona. And this Sunday's race was no different. Um, as I said, there were four red zone crashes. Elliott was caught in three of them pretty wild considering Elliot was caught in just one red zone accident for the entirety of the 2018 season. So this is uh, call it regression, call it bad luck, call it dumb luck. I know that there are those who may point to this outing as proof to why Chase Elliott can't hack it when the spotlight is brightest, but I don't take anything away from this other than it was, it was a really weird race for him. And weird for everybody, really. 13 attempted starts and restarts, a total 
that we saw just twice all of last year in the spring race at Bristol and the playoff opener at Las Vegas. Uh, chaos ensued. Uh, Elliot did not uh, come out the better, but uh, he was very competitive, very fast. I, I look forward to a future post about uh, the red zone at Daytona, the last, you know, f- the final part of the race, because uh, j- just one quote you hear from the, that's why everyone's trying so hard to be up front, especially at the end, because that stuff is going to happen. And, and that's why people get so aggressive because you don't want to be a part of it. And if you're out front, you're not a part of it. Um, speaking of incident-filled races, uh, the Truck Series opener on Friday night. I think it's what two. It's uh, next week. Uh, the week is past. It just ended. Yes, the, the the truck race has just ended in Daytona. I can tell you because I was down there on pit road for all of it. The longest truck race in history. Uh, even with its ex- its excitement and and uh, th- there were still plenty of things going on down on pit road. I assure you, I had a uh, pit out. I had some big names for that race and um maybe a surprise and that's what we're going to talk about david austin hill goes on to win the race maybe a surprise to some he ends up in the 16 truck with the championship winning truck from last season uh the offseason change is made and the big question going into the season it was the question i asked really it was in our production meetings that was the first and only question i had is what do we expect from austin hill and he goes out and wins the first race of the year. David, I don't know if this is a surprise or not, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. Uh, if, if you're just a normal uh, viewer of the truck series, you, you tune in every Friday night or Saturday afternoon and watch, and, and that's, that's sort of the end of your relationship, then maybe you were scratching your head uh, about why this driver um, in this truck, why would Shiggy Hattori uh, abandon a championship winning driver and make way for Austin Hill. Um, and I think it's a little bit more complicated than just saying Austin Hill bought Brett Moffat out of the ride. Uh, first of all, let, let's, let's talk about who Austin Hill is uh, via traditional stats. He had five wins in NASCAR's K and N pro series East. That is NASCAR's top grassroots division. And they weren't just wins on some podunk bull rings He won twice at Dover, and he won once at Richmond. Those are tracks that absolutely matter to the NASCAR zeitgeist. But beyond that, uh, according to advanced stats, uh, in terms of production and equal equipment rating, he ranked fifth in 2013, ahead of series champion Dylan Kwasniewski, Matt Tift, Jesse Little, Colt Custer, and Ben Rhodes. In 2014, he ranked fourth ahead of Jesse Little, Cole Custer, Brandon Jones, Kaz Gurala, and Matt Tift. And in 2015, he ranked first in the division ahead of William Byron, Noah Gragson, Jesse Little for a third time, Justin Haley, and Kaz Gurala. Um, He did a lot in that division, but received no interest from Cup Series teams uh, who are seemingly handing out uh, the, the driver development golden ticket less and less these days. Uh, at age 24, uh, he'll be 25 in April. He is old for what is typically considered an elite prospect uh, that is just now coming into his own in the truck series. And this may come off as crass, uh, but I've had my own personal battles with weight, so I'm sympathetic to his situation. But he's overweight. Uh, he's not a looker in the movie star sense. He has no social media footprint, uh, which uh, marketing departments nowadays care 
more about than television exposure. There's really no other way into the truck series for him than to pay his way. And that's what he did. Alan, I can't blame him for that. Uh, It's a shame that most fans associate him with uh, other paid drivers, the, the paid driver stereotype, not realizing the success he's had previously at the grassroots level uh, and the litany of closed doors that led to him taking this path. I mean, you, you raised the question in your production meeting, but I'm curious, what is, when you think of the term pay driver, what what is the connotation that you associate with it? Well, well I mean, I have a different outlook on it, but I understand where you're going with it in terms of what people think of w- with pay driver. And that's um, <laughs> someone who who is getting by on money rather than skill when a lot of the times it, it, it takes both now. Right. I mean, I have said for years, it, it was a few years ago, there was an incident where not an incident, a, a, an occurrence where uh, I think Kenny Wallace was supposed to be in a cup ride for a weekend. And all of a sudden it turned out Ryan Truex was going to be in it. And people gave him crap because Ryan Truex came with money. And I think Ryan Truex's quote was, I didn't buy a ride. I brought sponsorship. And ever since that moment, something clicked with me anyway. And I've always just maintained that buying a ride is, first of all, I don't like the terminology, but bringing sponsorship is just as much of a skill, whether it's a bank account your family has or your ability to pitch a CEO, bringing money is just as much of a skill as what you can do on the racetrack nowadays. That's just how it is. That it, it, It's pay to play nearly for everybody out there, one way or the other, especially getting into things so you can be recognized. In this case, if Austin Hill is using his resources to now get recognized, it is an excellent use of money. And David, I think what you just laid out is the background to where this isn't just someone with a large bank account. It is also a talented race car driver who has earned the right to at least show what he has in good equipment, and he goes out there and wins the first race. You know, uh, Jack Roush uh, once said that at some point in a driver's career, uh, he has to, he or she has to buy his own tires. And and for Austin Hill, uh, that really hit home. All those KNN East wins uh, came with a team that his family owned. And, you know, it, that's, that's an admirable approach. Uh, I would actually suggest that it's ill-advised. Um, there, there's a reason that these turnkey operations exist at NASCAR's lower levels is because uh, they make uh, more sense economically. There's just no overhead for a, for a paid driver to, to incur. But to be honest, I, I vacillate back and forth on this, but the, the concept of teams investing in talent just isn't realistic based on the current revenue trend in NASCAR. Most of these rides would not exist without pay drivers, and those rides create jobs and opportunities within the industry. Uh, do I feel totally great about the fact that this is normal? Uh, no, I, I started in this industry as a talent scout. I would prefer that talent wins out, but there's a clear path for those uh, willing to take it. Um, I, uh, you mentioned Ryan Truex. I actually uh, uh, think of a driver uh, like Jordan Anderson, who came from a modest uh, family, but stepped outside his comfort zone and networked his way into funding for a truck series ride. The way I see it, a good driver is perfectly within his or her right to complain about 
the lack of advantages uh, for elite talents nowadays, but they'll also be complaining from their couch if they don't step outside and uh, comb their community, go to the Kiwanis Club meetings, quarterback clubs, market yourself to those uh, that do have the financial wherewithal to pay for your dream. Uh, if they like you, they, they might be inclined to help you. There are no guarantees that all of this would go well, but if a driver does nothing, then they are guaranteed to fail. And you wrote about Austin Hill on motorsportsanalytics.com this week, and just eye-opening stats that, that that tell the story in terms of, remember, he was in the truck series last year for Young Motorsports, and you have a stat on here that, that it's just eye-opening compared to where that truck that he was in last year should have been running, it's expectation on intermediate tracks. Again, bread and butter stuff here, two mile non-drafting tracks. He had 65 combined spots worth of track position that, that you wouldn't expect out of a truck running at the speed it was that he, he delivered 65 spots on the track via his driving skills compared to the equipment under him. That, that's what your analysis shows us, David, and you can attribute that to the driving skill of Austin Hill. And consider the upgrade for him that's on the horizon, right? He he left a team that uh, that's trucked ranked 19th in Central Speed in the Truck Series in 2018 uh, and went to a truck that ranked third in Central Speed. And, and the difference there, even if, he, even if his passing maintains its status quo, uh, he's in line for an actual pass differential of 80 spots across six races on the moderate intermediates and the two-mile non-drafting tracks, that's a major coup for Hattori Racing Enterprises. Yeah, um, Hill struggled somewhat on the shorter tracks, but Hattori didn't. The team didn't. Scott Zipidelli would be completely fine with that. There's not much he can do from a strategy perspective just because uh, the stages cut into the short lap totals in that series. But that team's going to be sitting really well, and I think people are sleeping on how much of a serious championship contender this team is, lest we forget they're already in the playoffs. So they can focus on championship mode from here on out. And I just want to touch on the larger point when we, in this discussion about Austin Hill, uh, a reason why we do this podcast and really dig into this stuff, because uh, David, it just reminds you of, of a conversation I had with Ryan Priest. Ryan Priest gets recognized because of what he is able to do. Uh, certainly the big story was when he you know, bet on himself and bought a few races for Joe Gibbs and goes out and wins. It shows off his skill in good equipment. Well, I mean, I remember you pointing out to me, he was doing similar things for JD Motorsports, only finishing 10th with a car that maybe should finish 17th still isn't sexy, right? It's not sexy to sponsors finishing 10th or 11th when maybe you should be finishing 24th. But when you do the same thing in better equipment and start winning races, all of a sudden it's sexy and you're the greatest driver ever. Even though he was doing the same thing, in a lower uh, financed car, if you will. Uh, it's stories like that. I, I think we maybe see some of that now with Austin Hill. What he was doing last year was overperforming maybe uh, the equipment he was in, and now he's getting a chance to showcase that talent in better equipment. I think so too. And and why wouldn't he want 
uh, to take a big bet on himself just to see what he's able to accomplish in championship winning equipment. Um, frankly, he deserves it. Uh, he, he did a lot with a team that's never sniffed victory lane uh, and now takes the reins um, of a program that not only can compete for championships, but can help him expand his future outlook in the sport. Uh, just just this simple move, uh, this investment in himself may take him from a fringe prospect to somebody that will be considered down the road by Cup Series teams. Yeah, and we'll have to see what he can do uh, this weekend in Atlanta. Today's episode of Positive Regression is sponsored by MotorsportsAnalytics.com, a hub for NASCAR statistics and analysis. Subscribers of Motorsports Analytics have access to exclusive stats such as production and equal equipment rating, central speed and restart position retention, as well as David Smith's analysis on drivers, teams, and statistical trends. If you dabble in fantasy NASCAR, bet on NASCAR races, or just want to be more knowledgeable about the sport you love, this is the subscription for you. If you'd like to try it out, the monthly plan is $4.99 per month. If you're willing to take the plunge with the annual plan, you'll save nearly $15. Use the subscription the NASCAR industry uses. Drivers, team decision makers, and members of the NASCAR media subscribe to Motorsports Analytics. Now you can too. And moving on from Daytona, we are now going to Atlanta. Uh, some say, you know, the, the real start of, of the NASCAR season. We are moving into an era that I think Brad Keselowski summarized as one of the biggest changes in all of NASCAR history. That is this new package, whether it be with the engine and the uh, aerodynamics of the car, big changes on the horizon in terms of a cut in speed, an increase in downforce and drag, and it will mean, should mean, big differences in terms of uh, just the product we see on the track, David. And it's sort of a culture change in terms of uh, the sport, at least the series of cup racing. Between the new rules package, uh, the turnover among NASCAR officiating personnel uh, and teams legitimately misinterpreting the way uh, rules have been written or the intention of those rules, sometimes it's different. To me, inspection on qualifying day has the ingredients of an all-time cluster. Uh, <laughs> I think just getting getting out on the racetrack um, might prove these teams a little bit of a problem. Uh, of course, I'm I'm chopping at the bit to to better understand um, what this new rules package means for the season ahead. Can't wait to watch practice. What about you? Is there one thing that you're that you're curious about heading into the weekend? Oh, absolutely. And remember, Atlanta's a different animal. It, it, I think it'll be a different animal than what we see in Vegas because Atlanta, we get all the tire wear. Uh, they'll still have the brake ducts in Atlanta, which will be a uh, diff- slightly different th- because they need them there and Atlanta. But what, what I you mentioned qualifying inspection. I'm just wondering about qualifying because it is still a group qualifying session. And just in talking with teams and talking with engineers, one told me that, I mean, pole position may still be determined by a group of teammates working together. And it may be the second or third or, or who's ever getting the draft, if you will, at a track like Atlanta during group qualifying that will be the, the car on the pole. So I think that will be vastly different is that we will see cars close together uh, in qualifying. And um, I don't know if you can exactly compare it to a few years ago when it all went wrong at Daytona, but uh, I, it'll certainly be a different look right away when they hit the 
the track for qualifying and you might see teammates working together and that that'll change everything. And that's before we even get to the race. Uh, and, and even when talking about the race, what I heard when I was in Daytona was uh, the, the, the best possible outcome, many Fontana. Uh, so we know how exciting races at Fontana are. Most of it is due to tire wear on a very hard road profile. And I actually want to uh, talk about tire wear for a second. Uh, in 2018's race, Kevin Harvick, prior to pitting on a natural green flag fuel run, scored lap times in the uh, 32-7, 32-8 uh, range. Immediately after his stops, he hit the 31.5 range, <laughs> right? So, so and, and there were some other cases that were more extreme. Um, Jimmy Johnson, for instance, prior to pitting, was clocking in around 34.2, and after his stop hit 32.1, uh, which could also be reflective of dirty air among heavy traffic. But Alan, to be safe, let's call it uh, a 1.5 second hypothetical drop off in lap times due to tire wear. That's a green light for short pitting. Uh, a, a team trailing another car by roughly two and a half seconds on uh, a long green flag run looking to pit needs to do so two laps sooner for the chance to jump that car. Uh, and some of the short pitters that we saw in last year's race were Trent Owens on behalf of Chris Buescher, uh, Luke Lambert on behalf of Ryan Newman, and surprise, surprise, Adam Stevens on behalf of Kyle Busch had some forward-thinking strategy in that race. But because of the new rules package creating something of an air of uncertainty, uh, I suspect most crew chiefs will cling to what they can control and they can control when their car pits. Uh, I believe there will be more takers this Sunday when it comes to proactive strategy. Um, I think we're just going to see a lot of teams um, really focus on things that they know will happen uh, versus the the unknown, the, the, the reason why we're so um, uh, eager to see the first uh, practice session this weekend. And what they know will happen uh, is speed when you come get tires, right? <laughs> so when that window opens, it's come as soon as possible. Until they tr uh, choose to pave Atlanta, which I believe the drivers helped stave off, uh, that will always remain true. I think of Atlanta, you think of, you know, exciting finishes in the past, what tire wear and tire saving, if that's even possible there, can provide. Uh, how about on restarts on a track like this, when you combine all these unknowns of uh, potential new tires, old tires? Uh, I don't think we're going to see many old tires on a restart anyway, but uh, when you look back at, at restart trends at this track, what do you see? Well, the inside groove is the clear preferred groove at Atlanta. Uh, over the last two years, the inside groove's occupants retained position 73% of the time, while those in the outside groove did so just 56% of the time. Uh, Alan, across the last 13 restarts there, the leader selected the inside every single time. There isn't a lot of consternation about that. Uh, and retain position on all but one attempt. Uh, now, that is that's something that, that is also in the drivers and teams control, whether they get the preferred, the non-preferred, well, that's that's just up to where they're, they happen to be running. Um, in last year's race, no driver with multiple attempts in both grooves scored a perfect retention. The closest was Kyle Larson, who retained three times on four attempts from the preferred groove, 
uh, for a gain of eight spots and retained two times out of two from the non-preferred groove for a gain of one position. Um, I would be on the lookout for the 42 car on restarts. If you're able to focus in on him, keep an eye out because you'll you'll see some magic. Uh, he's he's quite good, and this is a racetrack that uh, magnifies his ability. And you said at the beginning of this, a mini Fontana, and that's where uh, at least a majority, right? A four or five career wins, at least two of them, right? Are come from Fontana and we know he likes the high side there. So maybe this is a Kyle Larson uh, preview coming out at Atlanta. I think that's the biggest mystery of this all, right? I mean, from your perspective, David, someone who relies on stats and trends and all this, is it tough not to throw it all out because we have this brand new arrow package of unknowns or, or can we rely on the numbers sometimes? No, I mean, I, I've, uh, I've, uh, I've seen some social media posts with people saying, well, the, the stats guy is going to have to just get rid of everything that he's done. And I'll be honest with you, I've done that previously. We've, we've paved tracks where, where some of the, some of the numbers don't mean anything anymore, but um, no, I'm actually doing what the crew chiefs do. I'm clinging on to the things that still could matter in an effort to understand what in the heck is going on on the racetrack and what to expect. I, I think there are, there are a lot of things that we can point to and say for certain that they they may still matter. The restart dynamic takes a while to change. Um, even as uh, wild as Fontana tends to be, that restart dynamic is pretty polarizing. The preferred groove there retains about 80 to 85% of the time, whereas the non-preferred is 25 to 30% of the time. There's still uh, a measurable weak spot on the racetrack, even with the the change in the arrow package, that should still hold true. And you can you can only do so much to the car where there would be ramifications to the track surface changing where you would prefer to run. Maybe it'll change at some places. I doubt it will at Atlanta, but look, that remains to be seen. Um, I'm willing to bet that we're right on that. Uh, all right. And when you when you talk about the crew chiefs looking and relying on what they know. Uh, Pick one specifically. I mean, who 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 are you looking at this weekend with all these unknowns, with everything new? Uh, who are you interested to see and how he may choose the choices he makes? <laughs> Uh, I mean, to me, the biggest question mark uh, or, or the person I'm most interested in watching is last year's winner, the uh, Kevin Harvick and, and Rodney Childers. Uh, when we think of Kevin Harvick, we think of this – uh, signature driving style uh, that that he has that uh, maybe outside of Justin Allgaier you don't you don't see, um, but he drives his car uh, very deep into the corners and waits very late uh, for a braking point. Uh, he almost uses his brake as an offensive tool, and we rarely see that uh, with the change in the rules package. How is his driving style affected on what? Some may consider his best racetrack, right? That was all the talk last year was, man, Kevin has this place figured out. His line is unique and we can't seem to duplicate it. What do they do? And on top of that, the last time we saw Rodney Childers winning a race on a quad oval racetrack, he got suspended for two races afterwards because his car was illegal. So how how does this team respond to, I, I guess, multiple question marks going into the race weekend. Um, I, I think I think a lot of attention is going to be placed on them, and, and probably for good reason. They were the fastest car in four of the last five years in the NASCAR Cup Series. 
you'd like to think they're going to be fast even with the rules change. That's a very smart organization. Man, I'm curious to see what they do. Um, I, I I do believe in that team. I think they have the ability to do well. I, I'm, I'm curious to see whether the big three um, maintains – what about you? What's uh, what's what's coming at the front of your uh, mind? Typically, as you go with more analysis, because you're really great at that, I'm going more with with the heart, if you will. Uh, I'm I'm more I'm I'm interested in uh, Chad Knaus and William Byron and seeing how they uh, continue to progress. Because I, I think in just the, the little time that we saw them during speed weeks, uh, whether it be a natural maturation, you know, William Byron being in the second year, but how could you not, uh, you know, just uh, just being around Chad Knauss as your leader, improve as a, as a driver and as a team. Uh, I think we saw that in the Daytona 500. I mean, he was a player. He wasn't just uh, the shiny, pretty car that got there, you know, up front based on the Hendrick Motorsports engine department that they've come to rely on. I mean, those cars, the 24, especially what was a player at the front of the field for a long time on Sunday. And again, whether that's just a natural progression or whether we are already seeing the benefits of a Chad Knauss, William Byron relationship. I just want to see if that continues to grow now that we are more on, as we move into the more regular season, if you will, the, the mile and a half, uh, just the little things you hear about that relationship, uh, you know, being on the media side, knowing kind of leader Chad is and when and if William Byron can be available for an interview and for how long and, and when he wants them in the hall or, and studying and the homework that, that is being given to the young driver. Uh, I think it's bearing fruit already, and I want to see if that continues uh, with this new aero package in in something that kind of wipes the slate clean, maybe for everybody. Uh, I want to that, that's who I will be looking at, Chad and William Byron this weekend. Still, I would agree. I would actually expand that further to all of Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, the last two years in the playoffs, uh, those cars have an increase in central speed over what they did in the regular season. Um, that didn't translate to anything good at the beginning of the 2018 season. I'm curious to see what they do with the new rules package. Did they find something that matters, uh, that translates? There might be more questions than just Byron. It might be centered around the whole organization. Yeah, we'll have a, hopefully a lot of answers by Sunday. Um, fortunately, we've got uh, we've got listeners, man. We've got listeners to the Positive Regression Podcast, and uh, naturally, those listeners have awesome questions. They have submitted on Twitter, so I really appreciate that to anyone submitting questions, and they're they're great questions, and they're natural questions that I've certainly had before. So uh, we're going to answer some. So please always send us uh, your questions. But uh, David Tim Bloom on Twitter. Twitter. He wanted. He had a great question. Uh, we were talking a lot about the crew chief draft last week and pit strategy and positions gained. Tim Bloom on Twitter writes, I got to ask the crew chief pit stop calculation. If I pit early and gain 12 spots for a stage, but then I'm screwed on the next stage because of the, uh, because of the call, does that reflect in the data in terms of uh, overall positions gained and or lost? So the scenario uh, Tim mapped out here didn't actually occur last year. Uh, typically, we'd see a team not pit, perhaps as a result of a long pitting bet gone right, as in like the caution came out, um, in order to get a, a large chunk of that track position. Um, but if it were to occur, uh, both decisions would be reflected in the totals, even though each cycle is scored 
independently. Uh, and I have an actual example for you. Uh, last year at the Brickyard, Johnny Klausmeyer uh, short-pitted Eric Almarola during the uh, first uh, field-wide green flag pit cycle. Unfortunately, a caution came out and uh, gave those on the long-pitting strategy the advantage. It cost Almarola 27 spots in the process. Uh, he moved from 4th to 31st. On the second cycle, Klaus Meyer long pitted and scored his driver eight spots, uh, a big gain, uh, went from 30th to 22nd. In total for the race, they lost 19 positions during green flag pit cycles. Not good, um, but the gain, a correction of sorts by Klaus Meyer, was indeed accounted for in the total. Tim, thank you for the question. Appreciate that. Uh, another one from uh, Avery Haig. I uh, hope I got that right on Twitter. Uh, the average speed rank for Daytona 500 winners from 2013 to 2017 was 3.2. I've always felt the Gen 6 era of restrictor plate racing favored outright speed more than the Gen 4, Gen 5 eras. Do you think this trend continues with Talladega? Talladega, of course, when uh, the restrictor plate era is over and we go to the the tapered spacer, what we'll see from week to week. Uh, this stems from my motorsportsanalytics.com article on Daytona 500 speed that I posted last week. It may be uh, no longer time relevant, but I think certainly worth reading and uh, very observant of Avery there. Um his hunch is kind of right uh, and also kind of wrong. Uh, winners at Talladega in the Gen 6 era averaged a 9.6 single race speed ranking, while those in the final three races of the Gen 4 era averaged a 13th place ranking. So he got that one right. Uh, the Gen 5 era, though, or as we lovingly refer to it, the COT era, uh, proved better by this measure, averaging an 8.7 place speed raking. Uh, so different results than what we saw specifically in the Daytona over the same time frame. At Talladega, the COT reigned supreme in terms of speed. All right. And of course, Positive Regression is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Podbean. We have all your favorite devices covered. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. That helps the podcast gain some visibility. Uh, your help in spreading the word is certainly appreciated. And uh, I will take some time right now, David, to just thank everybody in Daytona who came up to uh, me and you. Uh, I, I certainly had my encounters uh, with, with our brethren in the media and friends in the media and uh, a crew chief or two who, who are listening to this and the fans that have responded on Twitter. David, I, I must just say that th- there was a time, uh, it took me back to like sixth grade when I felt like I was the only NASCAR fan in Connecticut. And it, and uh, it was a lonely feeling, but one I didn't really care about too much. I just thought, okay, this was my thing. And when you approached me about uh, doing the podcast and I'd always love your stuff, I, part of me did think, you know, who's going to want to listen to two guys talk about these nerdy things about NASCAR? Even though I loved it so much, I was like, who else appreciates something like this? And it turns out uh, I think a lot of people do. And maybe I underestimated that. But everyone who's listened to this so far, I, I just appreciate it so much because it, it just uh, – 
reignites that sense of community that uh, sometimes it is fun to talk about some nerdy things that we can all appreciate and uh, we can all appreciate them together, David. Uh, so in other words, Alan is saying, thank you, fellow nerds, <laughs> yes. uh, for listening and, and, uh, and, and helping make our, uh, our, our little show viable. Um, but to, to echo what he said, um, it was great. Thank you for the feedback. Um, it's good. We're going to keep doing this. It's going to uh, keep being uh, weird and, and nerdy and all the, all the stuff that we geek out about. Uh, I think uh, we have fun doing that. And, and your help in, in spreading the word uh, is appreciated. If you think you've got some some friends that, that may be into this, uh, let them know. We're here. We're, uh, we're here to talk uh, shop and strategy and stats and can't wait and, to do And it. we do rely on your feedback as well. And so we've got some cool stuff planned because of it. So stay tuned to future episodes of Positive Regression. But uh, coming up uh, this week, uh, we're back on Race Hub. Uh, again, this uh, you'll... The earliest you're listening to this is Thursday morning. If it is Thursday morning, make sure you watch Race Hub tonight because uh, I will be interviewing Ryan Priest, who had a hell of a debut in the Daytona 500. And it, it was just, uh, you can watch it and it'll speak for itself. I'll post it on Twitter. But David, he, the kid just has, I won't call it an arrogance. It's just a confidence in terms of, you know, you expect rookies to struggle. And the, the vibe you get from him is just that at the end of the day, it's just a racetrack and I'm a race car driver. I will adapt. He, he just has a confidence about himself that he will get through this. And again, it's not an arrogance. It's more of a, a confidence and a self-assurance that he's got the skills underneath his uh, underneath his brain to do it. And uh, I think some of that will come across. So make sure you watch Race Hub. And, uh, and that's what I, I'm working on until I go to Atlanta where the truck race is happening and it'll be a good doublehead on Saturday. Uh, I actually think I'll be writing about Mr. Priest uh, in a few weeks. Uh, I'm actually gearing up. It is the inaugural prospect week on motorsportsanalytics.com, March 4th through 8th. Uh, you will uh, see some uh, cool stuff uh, from Chris Mitchell, a writer new to motorsportsanalytics.com, uh, and me, uh, who typically puts out a top 75 prospects list. Uh, you'll see that among other articles. Uh, and we're uh, w- when we podcast, it will be a prospect-oriented pod. So you will be uh, able to geek out over all of the future stars of the NASCAR Cup Series uh, because we're going to break down most of them. It will be uh, a fun week. Um, it's one of the times of the year I look forward to and I can just focus purely on prospects. That's the reason I got into doing uh, motorsports analytics was to evaluate up and coming young drivers. Uh, so we're going to hearken back to my past and focus Focus on the kids. Certainly looking forward to that and looking forward to this new era. Maybe in Atlanta, we will see what the weekend brings. But hey, the season is here. And uh, we just appreciate you listening to Positive Regression. For David Smith, I am Alan Kavana. Once again, this is Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. Join Tubi in celebrating Black History Month with the largest free collection of black cinema streaming every day of the year, including exclusive Tubi originals, Howard High, and Pass the Mic. Tubi. Watch free.